This is Jane Hardwick Collins, founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. Connecting to our inner dimensions. Inner reviews of transformation. When and how my life changed. Rewilding women with their stories of growth and transformation. Reclaiming feminine knowledge and power. Thank you for joining us. This is important and deep, serious work. Your podcast host and story guide, Ali Kate. Welcome to episode three and so keen to get this one out. Really tuning into when this was recorded around the second trimester before this podcast birth and it was great to reflect on the conversation with Joey. This woman, we talk about balance and that's the main theme of this podcast. We talk about the balance that the Four Seasons journey gave her in looking at feminine model of healing and how this has played out into her life. And we also talk about how journeying with the School of Shamanic Womancraft has played out into Joey's business. And it's really interesting, the feminine healing and the balance, working with uh, science and evidence and how Joey has managed to rein all the goodness in. It's a great episode. Enjoy and remember to leave some feedback on iTunes. Go and check out the website schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com slash podcasts and you'll see the first three episodes. So enjoy. Welcome, Joey. Thank you so much for joining us for the School of Shamanic Womancraft podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Mm. And so... Today we're in a waxing moon and our moon is in Aries. So it's increase of activity, energetic action and favours anything that requires some courage, decisiveness and swiftness. So, Joey. Mm. Here we are. Here we are. (laughs) What was your internal thoughts, if you can bring it back, as he walked into the first gathering last year in the Otways oh, with Nim, Nim Fox Harfer, what was going through your mind? Oh, good question. <clears throat> well, I was lucky enough to live really locally to where the gathering was held. So I was, you know, probably the last one to arrive because um, I was driving just a short distance and it was a familiar kind of landscape and just really beautiful lush, you know, coastal area and and forest. So I was kind of just mesmerised, almost like going back to my childhood and and playing in the forest and the rock pools. And so that area always brings out my inner child. And so we're kind of setting up and I didn't really know what to expect. I consciously signed up to the whole process with an open mind and curiosity 
And um, I just remember, you know, people's because there was apprentices that I didn't know that at the time, there was people who clearly seemed to know what they were doing and then other new people who were just settling in and, and, and didn't really know what was going on. So in the beginning there was just like a, mis- um, a mishmash of, of, of women trying to find their place and so we were sitting in circle for the first time and I was just kind of looking for a nice place to sit and someone says, oh, I'm day 10, and I looked at them like I have no idea what that means but just nodded. And then someone saw my confused face and was like, everybody's sitting in like the day of their menstrual cycle. And I was like, of course we are. Like where else would you sit? Of course you're going to sit in your menstrual cycle. So that was kind of uh, a shock and an introduction. So then I found my place in the circle based on where I was bleeding or where I was in my cycle. And, um, and you know, and then I guess everything just un- was unfolding and I was beginning to recognize it was a different way of doing things and it was it was quirky but it also made sense and the more you sit in circle and kind of know where the moon is and know where the women are in their monthly cycles it's really interesting how the ovulating end of the circle will be giggly and chatty and like full of beans and super extroverted and they're the they're the party they're they're starting the dancing right and then people who are premenstrual or bleeding are just quiet and like give me space. I don't want to talk. Leave me alone. <laughs> and so there's that um, all in one place with a you know a room full of 25 women. You've really got those those different qualities, and it's quite nice actually. So yeah, yeah. And so what was your you know click of the button? I'm gonna do this moment what led you up to Um, coming into the the journey I can't specifically remember but I really liked the idea of having structured times in my year where I would go out into the bush and camp and spend time with mother earth that was my real intention and the other thing was is I, I had brothers and I never had sisters and I've always felt groups of women quite intimidating so I thought it would be really healthy and healing for me on that personal level to challenge myself to spend time with women. Um, yeah, so, you know, you're a surfer. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that connection? So as we were speaking before we started recording, mm-hmm. you have that, you know, that what I'm hearing now, you've got this deep connection with nature, you've got this deep connection with the ocean and, you know, that the depths that that, that holds and you're a part of that. Yet when you came into this, you came into it in a very practical manner, science-based, mainstream background, um, looking at it in a different perspective of not wanting to really engage with, like you said, touchy-feely crystals holding hands and maybe what the whole perception of this journey is to people. Do you want to explore that a bit more with me? Yeah, well, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, But I was – I'm very familiar with this idea of, of, you know, being open to signs and it's like every day something will come to you and it's – it means – it can have quite a profound meaning, even just staring at a cloud formation or – um, something that pops up on Facebook. And and this journey kind of popped up for me in that way. And I 
there was definitely a part of me that was judgmental, like this just, you know, it sounds like witchcraft and I'm totally not into that and, you know, spells and hoo-hoo-la-la. And, and then I just kind of picked myself up in my mind wandering and I was like, that's actually really judgmental because you have no idea what this is about. And I was like, well, maybe this is a practice of leaning in and opening up and being curious. So I kind of entered the journey with that idea of challenging my own judgments and um, and so yeah for me it was not about learning it wasn't about healing even you know it was it was really just about giving myself time to connect with women and time to be in nature and I guess just honouring that we already have everything we need within us. It's there. It's just can we remove all of the confusion and all of the psychological smog and all of the busyness and all of the rush so we can actually see the truth and feel the truth within us. And so because I, I run a business and I work online and I connect with people globally, I'm just conscious that I, I could become too career-focused and too work-focused and that's quite masculine and nothing wrong with masculine energy. It's healthy. But I wanted to have a feminine balance and I thought going out in nature and camping with women would be nice to complement my strong career focus. Yeah. When you're out surfing, mm-hmm. do you feel a similar feeling? Yeah. That it been in more of an organic way, I guess, where you just once you're out there, everything is left to the shore and... Yes, but ironically, there's that similar thing of facing fear because I'm quite afraid of the ocean. And, you know, often with surfing, the waves are challenging or they're scary or they're big or there's rocks or there's a crowd you've got to um, compete with. And so kind of similar to joining the women's circle, I kind of knew it would be nourishing and the ocean and surfing is nourishing but there's that element of it's not necessarily easy. Like you've still got to face some fear in showing up. So that there's definitely a similar relationship between surfing and for me entering that Four Seasons journey. Yeah, wow. So this is it, isn't it? It's showing up. Is it, it, yeah. The, the, Even though yeah. you think it might yeah. be uncomfortable. Or, yeah. Or, I mean, did any, you know, coming from that practical science background, was there any um, initial like judgments or feelings of like, oh, these people are like crazy or definitely, um, definitely. Yeah. especially <laughs> in the opening gathering? Um, and gosh, it's got it's kind of taking me away back to remember, but I do remember thinking like, what am I doing here? This I feel like I'm back in kindergarten with craft, and I friggin' hate craft and all the craft exercises the whole year through, I really like it was such a practice of surrender for me, which is which you know was kind of fun in and of itself. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of moments when I was like, "What am I doing here?" but i just I just kept showing up, you know and that and that was the practice for me, yeah, yeah, and that's it, isn't it? Just to keep showing up <laughs> yeah, and there's a and there's always a gift in that and and you kind of have to be. Yeah open to that unfolding in new and weird and wonderful ways so leading in from that Mm -hmm. 
drum making. Yes. How was how was that for you? Because that's a part of the the journey. Is and we yes. make our drum. Um, how did that show up for you? Well, I'm a musician, and so the idea of making a drum was a real highlight for me. That was that was like a really cool concept. Uh, but I guess I didn't realize it would be like a craft exercise. So that that part. <laughs> and like we went upstairs and there's all these deer hides laying down and I'm not super comfortable with dead animals and I don't really eat meat. So there was just like all these deer hides everywhere and I was like I stood as far away from them as I could and we were supposed to go around and kind of, you know, feel the deer hide that would choose us and I just took the one that was closest to the exit and decided that was my deer because I just I didn't I felt really uncomfortable being around all these dead animals because it is that so you could just get out there with it straight away yeah so I I took the closest (laughs) one and um so the process of making the drum was supposed to be um an analogy or metaphor of the way our mothers birthed us and I was like a one-hour labor a super quick birth and the story goes, I essentially birthed myself and I, you know, fell, fell into the doctor's hands. And, um, and my drum making was pretty much the same thing. I just didn't waste any time. I didn't think about it. I just, you know, used the stencil and cut what I had to cut and measured what I had to measure and just made it. It was a really no big deal process. And I, I finished my drum super quickly and um, the thing I remember about the drum making was because you've got this really, really, really long, like 14 metres of hide that you're having to weave into this wooden frame so you're, you're kind of sewing it together, is all the knots. I found it really fascinating how the knots would untangle themselves and it was just like that thing of, you know, not getting upset by knots in life. You just have to acknowledge that knots happen, but then they find a way to untangle themselves. It was kind of, for me, the drum making was really effortless and the drum made itself. I just happened to facilitate the process. But um, anyway, so I just made it. It was no big deal and didn't feel particularly bonded to it. And once I finished, I got my ukulele and sat on a hill and wrote a song. And, I mean, there were women still making their drums for, you know, probably days after I'd finished. So I I finished really quickly and then I had loads of free time which suited me. I could go and do my own thing. And so you made that correlation with your birth imprint. You were like, yeah, well, that's just, Mm. that's how I birthed. So that's how I birthed my project. Is that you in life with your projects? Yeah, definitely. I chose my power animal. So that's the animal that kind of I resonate with to be the leopard for a similar reason because like they – they silently plan things out and so it appears to people that I do things really quickly when actually in my, in my inner world I'll be quietly planning something and thinking it through. So I, was, I think I was about 12 days overdue or I was a little overdue and so if you think about it, like I, I kind of technically had a quick birth but I suppose there's all that thinking time and it's like a leopard can be a really fierce and aggressive predator and just can quickly get the prey, but they're actually sitting back and, and 
sussing out the situation for a long time. So there's kind of like a silent build-up and then a, a quick attack. And that mm. really is how I think I do a lot of things. So I'm, I'm a quick learner and I'm a quick mover and shaker, but there's often a huge amount of quiet preparation that other people don't know I'm doing. Wow, so you're just hiding in that long grass, just swiftly watching and observing and Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And taking it all in, in my own in my own inner world. So how did your practical science brain go with power animals and when all this was coming up for you? How was the how was the pull? Yeah, I think because I, I, I've got that background in psychology and neuroscience, like I understand the power of mindset and focus. And so the more you focus on your weaknesses, the more they kind of are in the front of your world. So the more you focus on problems, the bigger the problems become. And having mm. a childlike beginner's mind and curiosity and openness and playfulness via neuroscience we know that they are effective in activating certain parts of our brain and building certain parts of our brain that build resilience and build build emotional muscles and the reality is is that if you can't dream big and if you can't dream where you want to be how on earth are you going to get there you know it has to start with an idea and ideas start in our head in our mind in our inner world and so it kind of makes sense to me to have that surrender of letting go of the physical matter that you can touch and being able to go into a dream space where you can, you know, take on qualities of a power animal or, you know, talk to a guide or, you know, talk to that part of yourself that has no limitations and to see what comes of that because dreaming is part of growing and dreaming is part of a very healthy human brain and so people who deny themselves that play space and creative space are actually limiting their brain power and their ability to manifest in the modern day world and if you look at really successful business people entrepreneurs olympians politicians musicians whatever they have very rich inner worlds and they have a capacity to dream beyond what other people might think is potential so there's a potency in dreaming so for me, it made a lot of practical sense. And when I look at my clients who are stuck in their symptomatology, I work with mostly vertigo and tinnitus and disequilibrium. A, a lot of my clients are very much stuck in their symptoms and they need to find ways to, to dream big and to look at being healthy again and to give themselves permission to actually build those new neural pathways. And so it actually starts with the dreaming. Mm. So going through that process, um, you know, go back to your practical science, I, I assume, I'm not, I'm not knowing, but in university, did you get to go beyond that point of, okay, so dreaming um, and then looking at it in a metaphysical sense of where did these ideas and dreams come from and then the work that you do, um, the journey work that you did with the School of Shamanic Womancraft is, you know, looking at our ancestors and mm. um, up and down and that that thought of there's ideas in our space but where did they pre-exist to get into our dreams and into our lives? Well, 
into into our practical to answer play to answer out, your question in uni I did not learn any of that it was more the physical we were learning about which parts of the brain fire how they fire how the neurotransmitters and neuroreceptors mm-hmm. kind of the physiology Physiology, you learn yeah. to different parts of our brain that have specialized functions. You learn a lot about diagnosis and disease. So there's a huge focus on the problems. Mm, so case studies, that yeah, type of thing. Yeah, and the DSM manual yeah. and then through audiology. Yeah. How the ears fire towards midbrain and the eyes and yeah. study hearing aids. So there's a huge focus on disease. Um, but through my further training, and also because I have a, a very strong background in yoga and mindfulness and looking at actually capitalizing on plasticity, so building new pathways. So through learning about the power of connection, so people who feel lonely, isolated and restricted have you know, worse, poorer outcomes and people who feel connected practice gratitude and um, have self-belief. And so this concept of building in a connection to your ancestors and your lineage and your place on this earth, again, has that, it makes sense neurologically that when we're feeling alone and isolated and separated, hopeless and helpless, we're far less likely to, take, um, to, to engage the brain in repair activities because it can get stuck in the fight, flight, freeze mode, which is survival mode, and it's, it's you know, panic or underlying anxiety. So if we can like be able to ground ourselves back into our place on this planet and connect meaningfully, and this will look different to everybody, but connect meaningfully to your lineage and there's a, the brain can then sort of go, okay, I'm safe, I belong here, I fit in. And then it can kind of relax into its maintenance and rest, repair, digest mode, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. And I think in the modern day world, in my background through the health sciences and medical scientists and working with neurologists, psychologists, psychiatrists, physiotherapists, ENT surgeons, they don't get any of that and they're not trained in it. So they're very much saying, okay, you feel anxious, well then let's medicate it or um, do you need surgery? Let's look at the mechanics. Can we apply a surgical fix? And that's all really useful stuff, by the way. So their, their specialty is quite limited to the physical assessments, diagnosis, investigation, but when it comes to that realm of recovery, repair, experience, feeling, and the, the neuroplasticity, so, so the inner workings, the neurology, um, the, neuro, the neurologist will, will again focus on finding disease, but as an allied health specialist in vestibular audiology specialty, I'm looking at how do we engage repair. So it's, it's, a, it's a different, it's actually the feminine model of looking at recovery as opposed to the patriarchal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the healing model as opposed to the incident target approach, fix it, then it's done, shift onto the next organ or, I yeah, mean, it's treating you know, the parts yeah, rather than the yeah. whole. The whole, yeah. yeah. And so were you like that in uni? Like, were you seeking more and couldn't just quite grasp it? Like, were you looking around at all your fellow students and being like, come on, guys, like, is, there must be something more? Or were you just, absorbing what you could at that time and knowing that there was once you finished this degree that there was more out there for you to explore it's a really good question I 
in my psychology degree, I felt really uncomfortable with the the focus on diagnosis. And I probably didn't really understand why, but I just knew it. it felt really wrong giving people a bunch of questionnaires and labeling them. And then I chose, I felt, and I also didn't like this approach of psychologists and, and certainly not all psychologists are like this. There are all types out in the world, but I happened to have some placements with psychologists that were kind of like, I will fix you. I have the problems and I will fix you. And I just felt really uncomfortable with that philosophy. So I shifted into audiology. And then the focus was hugely on selling hearing aids. And I was like, wow, I don't feel comfortable in that either. And I definitely voiced my opinions in our ethics lectures, saying that I felt informed consent was really important so that our clients or patients knew what the options were, what their test findings meant, and giving empowering them to start to choose how they would like to move forwards with their management or their recovery or their healing. But there was still quite a strong um, kind of culture of I'm the expert, I'll tell you what hearing aid you need and why. So it's like this kind of information dump onto a patient. So that some, some of my, my classmates really found that challenging that I was, I suppose, bringing forth that voice. But to me it just made so much sense. So anyway, so then I, wor- I, I dissed the hearing aid kind of stuff and I went straight into vestibular specialty. And I think that's largely because of my yoga background. I, I understood the body and I understood balance in quite an experiential way rather than a textbook way. And um, I saw that there were a lot of clients falling through the cracks of the system. So they had persistent anxiety, vertigo, tinnitus. The test results were not showing anything that the medical world could address. So they were being sent home saying, just don't worry about it. And the question is, well, how do you not worry about it? And why aren't these people being taught how to not worry about it? Why aren't they being given strategies or tools or support? And so it took me 10 years from that kind of birth of the idea to actually build programs that guided people through a gentle step-by-step daily neuroplasticity process. Um, And and truth is that the hybrid model works. So the doctors are doing a really fantastic job at what they're trained in and the stuff the doctors do I can't do. So we actually, it's, you need both. You need to get the medical investigation and then you need to go through the healing. It's a two-stage process. And I think you get the best outcomes when it's an all-inclusive yeah, where Yeah, approach. where we're all in this together and working together, whatever model of care. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's kind of the, the feminine model of healing says everybody has a role to play. And I think I try and help my clients recognize that actually they're the expert in themselves and give them their power back to feel confident and empowered to make decisions that work best for them rather than cookie cutter generic do these bedside exercises or take these medications and hope for the best yeah Yeah. and I think I think working in the medical system and being in hospitals and being at the University of Melbourne for 12 years I also developed a great empathy for the experts because if clients are walking in your door and saying hey fix me get rid of this that's a really big expectation and it's something that they can't actually physically do and that's they call it a heart sink you know the doctors really want to help people 
But if they're being asked the impossible, they're in a really difficult situation. And so that's where culturally we need to understand that actually the doctors are part of our team. They're not there to kind of create miracles. They're there to give us little bits of information and help us understand what's going on, but not necessarily to give us certainty or to to fix us. So it's tricky for the doctors too. So curious question for you. Has it ever crossed your mind that vertigo or tinnitus um, or any of the audiologist conditions that you work with, uh, mm-hmm. looking at in a shamanic perspective, like gifts or, you know, definitely uh, say like a shaman or a, a healer in a different culture was revered for what we would look at in the DSM as mental health conditions and we would lock people away for a lot of things? Absolutely. So if people have just a a genuinely physical condition, it will heal within six weeks naturally, no problem, it's no big deal, sometimes a lot quicker than that. Um, And I look at the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of the symptoms and of the healing. And without a doubt, I would say all of my private therapy clients, and they go through a six-month quite intensive program with me, and they'll have a daily practice and meet up with me once every two weeks. Nearly all of them will say, wow, you know, I've been trying to get rid of this for years and now when I stop and listen and treat it as a valuable piece of information, they realise what a gift it is and how much they're learning about themselves. And when they listen to the symptoms and it suddenly has a meaningful message, how that helps them then see themselves differently, respect the sensations their body is giving them rather than in essence, rejecting themselves by rejecting their symptoms, they're rejecting themselves. And they they develop a self-kindness and self-respect that changes their whole inner relationship. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you eliminate moments of depression or eliminate anxiety or eliminate all the pains in your life. But more often than not, we see a massive reduction in symptoms for some people, complete resolution of symptoms and above anything else, a capacity to manage it with, without feeling helpless or hopeless. So there's this, I feel prepared, I feel confident, I know what my body's telling me and this is a gift. So sometimes I compare it to the, the dashboard of your car. It's just, you know, what's the fuel level saying? You know, what's the, the temperature gauge saying and so you're getting you're able to read your body in a way that's based in unconditional love and tuning into the wisdom rather than the fear you are listening to the school of shamanic womancraft podcast series with ali kate let the story guide you into connectivity safety and trust in your healing So in 2008, your brother broke his neck while he was skiing. Do you want to uh, mm-hmm. just talk about that journey because you became his one of his primary carers at that time? So we're looking yeah. at 10 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, 10 mm. years ago. So, yes, he was 21 or 22 at the time and I was around 25 years old. Um, still, still at and uni? He, at that time. I was just yeah. wrapping up. So while he was in rehab, 
and he broke C5, C6, so he lost 97% of his physical function. And to this day he has, I think, um, just some shoulder movement and a few bicep or one bicep muscle that works. So uh, he's actually doing really well with what he's got in terms of moving forwards with his life and being able to feed himself and brush his teeth and and do a lot of things that give him his power back. But, you know, he's a quadriplegic, so he has daily carers and I'm certainly still a part of his support team today. But back then... Uh, I was I was really in the hospital and, and helping with the, the nursing team and communicating with doctors and helping manage his visitors and helping him with, you know, whatever was needed. And there was moments when he couldn't talk because he had um, the breathing tube actually through his mouth so he didn't get a cut in the neck for, a, I think it's called a tracheotomy. Um, so there was times when he couldn't actually talk and it was just blinking. So it was it was really full on and it was exhausting on every level. And at that point in time, I was graduating my master's and, and beginning my internship at the INE Hospital and University of Melbourne Clinic. So there's a lot of changes happening in my life at that time. And it really made me realise that, you know, earning money and full-time work wasn't really what it was cut out to be or it wasn't a be-all and end-all. And that was when I decided to actually work part-time and take up a full-time yoga teaching apprenticeship, which was um, three to five hours a day, you know, every day of the week for three years. So it was a really full-on old-fashioned apprenticeship where I got to really learn a lot about listening to the body, working with the body, neuroplasticity. And I suppose my brother's accident inspired me to take that leap and consequently, fast forward 10 years, my brother was a competitive sports person and now he's just really into the consciousness and mindset and furthering our capacity and potential to use our brain because that's what he has now. He, he can't work on sport anymore. And so it's been really beautiful watching his growth and watching him step in to be the man he is. He's a father of a child. He's married. And... He's really opened up his consciousness and his wisdom and his spirituality and I'm sure all of that was fast-tracked because of his injury. He just simply would not have had to stop and had those conversations with himself if he was still surfing every day or, you know, working nine to five, all of that. So I can definitely see the gifts within the trauma and our family's, I think, much closer because of his accident. Um, there's one part you wrote, yeah. he's not defined by his inju- injury and he believes that he's truly blessed and that the skiing accident has enriched his life. I mean, that's pretty amazing to come into that, um, especially, you know, in our structure, in our societal structure, we look at, you know, ageing process. We don't want us to age. We look at the body as always having to be in that full bloom, super fit, you know, yeah. able to work nine to five, do this and this and this and yeah, no, it's 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 been a very humbling process, watch Dan. And when he did break his neck, I'll never forget the day he said, look, you know, a broken my neck is pretty shit, but I can take it with a frown or I can take it with a smile. Mm-hmm. And I choose to take it with a smile. And he was very conscious. And when he'd have sad days, he'd have sad days, obviously. And when he'd have frustrated days, he'd have frustrated days. And they still happen. And he's very human about the whole process. Um. 
but yeah, I mean, and, and we were talking in our women's circle at one point about self-care and getting what you need. And I was saying how because of my my brother's accident has created such a physical need, like he'll there's times when he just needs you to come and, you know, he, he needs arms and legs. It's a physical thing. We've all had to learn how to say when a yes is a yes and a no is a no. Like sometimes you can help and you can physically show up and be available and sometimes you can't. And I was saying how with my brother, if I can't help him, there's no resentment, there's no guilt, there's no I should do this, it's just sorry, Dan, I can't come. And there's no big deal, there's no expectation like we're his servants or anything. And it's really nice to have that clarity of love and unconditional commitment and knowing there's a team of people because then when you turn up it's like you're hanging out you're enjoying each other's company it's like it's a real it's a proper yes not a should and at the same time I think there's also an understanding that if Dan says you know what I really need you here um, he knows that we would rearrange our calendars to to make sure that happens and he gets what he needs so he's he advocates for himself and we don't he doesn't want us to pander to him so there's this keeping him in the driver's seat mm. and during your journey work with nim did any of the healing that you did with your brother come up at all in any of the processes or um i think most I think it came up maybe at the dark moon where we were talking about challenges in life and uncertainties and the crone energy. So for those of you who are listening who don't sort of know what I'm talking about here, it's that life-death life process. And um, we often, you know, think about looking at the veggie garden and planting a seed and watching it, you know, grow into a seedling and then blooming into a beautiful flower and you know, then maybe having fruiting or having this beautiful aroma and then the harvest, the decay, and then coming back into needing to to start the cycle again. And the crone process is that pausing between being a new seed that's going to start becoming a seedling and the harvest where you decay. So it's that kind of nothing area where nothing's happening, but it's the magic. It's the silent pausing waiting. And in our lifetime, it's it's being an older woman, so kind of over over seventy or over seventy five, when you're, you're slowing down, you're physically slowing down, and there's a, a quietness and a wisdom. And I was born in the crone cycle of the moon, and I'm very comfortable with my inner quiet space, and I find it very nourishing and nurturing. And in a yoga practice, we always have. Shavasana, which is laying flat, eyes closed and being still and practicing stillness and letting the nourishment come come to you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So it's this idea of not doing but rather being. Which matches your power animal and I, too, doesn't it? The, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the quietness yeah. and the silent, silent waiting, the potent, powerful yeah. place. And with my um, brother's injury, because he was a 20 I think around 22, 22-year-old man, I mean, that was so out of his life cycle because he's in a really active growth, explore, explore part of his um, life cycle, but he was forced into all of this stillness and, and being bedridden or, you know, 
having to be incredibly passive. And I suppose we've had to find space within that and joy within that and curiosity within that and openness and and to find the gift in the stillness Um, and also to honour the it's a beautiful place to be in that crone space and I can definitely see how my brother has at a younger age matured into a wise old man even though now he's only 31 so he's yeah there's been that sense of exploring the darkness with lightness yeah receiving it's a a practice of receiving and claiming I think self-worth too because we're no longer doing things to prove our worth we're just saying well here I am I'm showing up I'm not doing anything yeah yeah because by I mean when you do show up think it's like when you voice a thought to someone that is probably pretty scary or uh you know quite confronting but you actually voice it because you want this to happen or manifest it and by the time you've already voiced it it's already happened like it's already in its process I guess that that touches on another really important aspect of the feminine way and the 4SJ journey which is practicing intention setting and being really conscious of how you present yourself to the world and Sometimes I think we can get caught in a rat race or the conveyor belt of life of doing what you think other people want you to do or need you to do when I think we pause and listen to our authenticity and give ourselves permission to show up from that space. We're actually gifting the world who we truly are and that's a very intentional process and it takes practice and I think that was my favourite part of the Circle sharing and the 4SJ journey was we were constantly challenged to write down our intentions, you know, what are you here for? What? And for me it was often to be with nature, to physically be in the Otways and to be in my inner nature. And, um, and, and every woman would have, would have a, a different intention but just clarifying for yourself what am I showing up to each day. And I actually write in a journal every day and I – it helps me clarify some of the busyness of my mind and start my day with intentionality and and hopefully with more clarity and grace so I can best serve my community and and work without any of the clutter. And so I think practicing being intentional uh, you know is a very valuable process. Mm-hmm. I can really resonate with that on that that same level of when you're doing things that um, like say you're in that distracted, busy, go, go, go phase and you're doing things that you think should be self-care things but you're not present in them because you've got no real intent. Uh, what what you spoke about before when you, it showed up for you that you wanted to be with nature and you, you're already doing those things but to actually physically put them down onto a journal or manifest them, you, you become more present. It's like, wow, actually I, this is what I want. Like this is what I yeah. want as opposed to oh, I should be, yeah, you know, going out in nature and doing this because of blah, 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 blah. Um, there's a different presence when you're actually doing that thing because you sit with it more. Yeah. Yeah. And also just being really conscious of when we're focusing on the symptoms or focusing on the I can'ts 
So, you know, thinking, oh, like I live in the city, so therefore I can never get into nature. And then kind of if you're in that headspace, you're robbing yourself of actually being in nature and being present. So so really um, clearing the mental space to receive what's in your present environment. And uh, with the women's circles, just being able to sit and hear woman after woman after woman share their present reality and, and having to focus and listen into that, it really builds your concentration muscles, which I think is, again, are great skills. And it's very different to watching the TV where you can zone out a bit. I think this is more zoning in. And, um, yeah, yeah. so I, I think some of those, the, the listening, the power of storytelling, the intentionality, exploring the cycles of life, the light and the dark, they were all really um, valuable processes that I definitely think every human benefits from, not just women, although this is special women's business for sure. But I think a lot of us go home and share it with our partners and the men are often very intrigued by it. Brings a lot of truth out when you when you sit with these open mind and these questions. And that's, you know, for some people listening to this, they might think, you know, this is really scary, like I'm going through menopause or my life's falling apart or this or that and I don't want to have to sit in that. I don't want to have to know my truth. You know, I don't want to have to go into the darkness and that's fair enough and you don't have to. Like everything is optional and humans are wired to run away from pain and run towards pleasure and for some people they won't enter this work and I see this in my clients they won't begin this insight work until the pain is so great it's more pain it's it's more painful for them to stay there so actually going into this inner work and the insight work and exploring the darkness is is their out so they'll, they'll wait until it's so painful they need to do something because they're falling apart. Yeah, it's interesting, um, isn't it? It's like the soul or the, that inner, it's kind of screaming probably a lot of the time but we're so apt to distracting ourselves from that and to. Yeah, <laughs> or, or believing that kind of myth that we're supposed to be happy all the time and we're entitled to a long, healthy life and anyone who gets sick doesn't deserve that. It's a tragedy and it's like, hang on a minute. No one's entitled to perfect health or a long life. It's stuff's random, life's unfair, things happen, it just is what it is, what are we going to do with that? So it's like just facing it with more of a practical approach rather than this myth of, well, I shouldn't be anxious or I shouldn't feel lonely or I shouldn't this. It's like, well, you are feeling that and that's okay, that's your wholeness. What are you going to do with that feeling? What does it need? How can we bring you a little candle or a little torch to this dark situation where can we where can we be find wisdom intuition encouragement guidance you know so it's it's really looking at it with a can do approach rather than no it shouldn't be like this judgment yeah and sitting in the year the journey with the women um mm-hmm you really resonated with the stories from each person and you really said before we started recording that you just observed each and everyone's individual unique stories in their lives. Um, What did that give you at the end of it, heading back out into? 
Well, I think there's definitely, a, I believe in oneness and this idea that we're all connected in the whole planet and universe and there there is a, a almost like an invisible spider web connecting us all. You know, it's like the internet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like somehow we, we click in and we're all connected. Uh, and there's just this humbling, it's such a gift to have someone tell you their special, deepest, most human story. And there were so many women who said, I've never told anyone this, this is the first time it's ever been given words and it's a safe space with no comments no advice giving no judgments you are literally sharing your story and then that's it then the next person tells their story so you're not trying to be fixed you know it's not therapy and it's just a really beautiful for me it felt like adult story time like it was just a it was truly entertaining some of the women were so funny um, and some women had really dark stories and it was just, wow, it was humbling. So it's it's really sitting in that diversity of humanity and acknowledging that we're all whole, we're not broken, everyone belongs here. And also it made me realise at times how much we can assume we know things about people. You know, you can assume someone looks like they've got the perfect life and everything together when actually if you go a little deeper they can be very fragile and had an immense history of pain and suffering and and they're just the most remarkable human being you know and you would never know that unless you were in this kind of sacred space of listening so there was there were times when it made me remember just not to judge a book by its cover you know And, and I think that's a really really powerful reminder um for for our daily lives wow yeah the the story sharing and that sort of process of speaking what's sort of happened in someone's body or their being on an energetic, emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever level, and to actually voice that and know that it's voiced in a safe space is quite life-affirming. Um, it's... Mm like familiar it's remembering it's like tapping back into something that we've done before that we've shouldn't we would that we wouldn't we meant to do that's been taken away it's like reclaiming that um that ability um and just speaking in circle it's like we were you know it's probably that old persecution line that it was taken from us to speak and well it just is what it is too like i I'm really careful not to go into the, you know, that wounded patriarchal story because I think from from a yoga practice point of view, sometimes there is nothing better than actually stopping your practice for a while and just noticing what happens to your life when you're no longer practicing. Mm. And then when you pick it up again with a, with a different body and with a fresh mind and with different eyes, you can then go at it in a different way. And if you're practicing just day in, day out, really mechanically and robotically, you can actually get quite stuck. And so it's interesting how maybe humanity needed to pause its women's circles. And, you know, maybe this is time for us to go in with a new fresh face and a fresh space. And this is just exactly where we're meant to be. Mm, fresh eyes. fresh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. Especially, yeah, pausing. And, again, that follows that wheel, isn't it, the cycle? of the stillness exactly know. yeah and, and the death of one system or the death of one perspective will then start to become a seedling and a new idea and a new way of doing things and 
The other, the other thing is, is, you know, for every woman who is whole in herself and celebrates her wildness, there's a, you know, there's a man out there who's going to be gifted her true nature. And I think when women are stifled and quiet and trying to be someone they think society wants them to be and lose weight and, I don't know, earn lots of money and be an amazing mother and just be everything for everyone, if that's um, blocking or hiding her wildness, then the world's being denied that. And so the more we can give ourselves permission to sit and listen to our truth and to roll in the mud and to let ourselves be wild and to take your clothes off and to, you know, dance naked in the rain and just enjoy your nudity. And, and a women's circle gives you those opportunities to actually do that. And in this day and age, that's really rare. And I think the more we can feel comfortable in our own skin and celebrate our wildness, the more the world benefits. And there's a great benefit there for our men too because that gives them permission, I think, to step into their wildness and explore what that means for them too. So I don't. what I'm saying is I guess I don't think it's a selfish act. I think it's actually a self-full mm -hmm. act. And if humans can really all show up with unconditional love and respect and, you know, quirky, muddy wildness, the world will really be a different place. Love it. Thank you, Joey. Just, just before we mm, thank you. finish this story, um, could you, because I'm really interested in your background where you come from, like you said, the science, mainstream, practical, what advice mm -hmm. would you give to someone considering this journey or considering ways to step into their wild women self, um, what advice would you give coming from the background that you come from um, to people that are like, oh, I just don't want to like go and do all that, you know, smutchy stuff, woo-woo. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's what advice would you give to someone sort of sitting on the fence there? Um, listen to your wisdom. If you don't feel like you have wisdom in your body yet, trust me when I say you do. Your brain is wired with internal wisdom and your, your senses, your mind, your body, your heart, your spirit, they're all collecting data for you every day. And if you can't decode that yet and you can't hear what your wisdom's telling you, then that could be something you want to start learning. And if you don't want to learn that yet, that's okay too. But I would say listen to your wisdom because you know if this is right for you or not and you're the only one to make that call. But it's a, it's a gentle process, it's a wholesome process and you don't have to participate in anything. Mm. But just merely showing up is the gift to yourself, which is effortless and they cook for you and it's amazing food and it's fun. <laughs> Uh, I love that too. Yeah, the food is amazing. You just feel so nurtured. Um, yeah. Yeah. I cook tahini balls all the time now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Joey. Your website um, for people to connect and find more because, um, you know, I'm really interested in the work that you're doing. So people might want to look at seekingbalance.com.au. For more information on today's inner review with photos and how to connect, head over to schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com forward slash media forward slash podcast.
Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. We are all in this together.